Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. We're coming to you from Film Scene in downtown Iowa City, and we're happy to have you join us for part three of this series on the tenacious cycle of poverty, hunger, and disease. We invite you to join us for the live programs if you can, or catch them later on UITV, YouTube, or iTunes. And information about upcoming shows, as well as links to archived programs, can be found at international.uiowa.edu. You can learn more about Film Scene at icfilmscene.org. The focus of this final segment of our series on poverty, hunger, and disease is rising from poverty and hopefully alleviating or at least lessening the ravages of hunger and disease. And joining me here are Jay Siegel, Executive Vice President, Siegel Foundation USA. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for being on the World Canvas program. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. And next to him is Joseph Wyckoff, Geographic Analyst at the Iowa Flood Center. Thank you, Joseph. Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. And at the far end, we have Christina Woodhouse, graduate student at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. Thanks, Christina. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. So, Jay, I'd like to turn to you first. And uh, you recently wrote a really wonderful commentary for the Iowa City Press Citizen about efforts to assist communities with water resource management in stressed areas, particularly of India, and right. the involvement <coughs> the Siegel Foundation has with this uh, work in India, um, what access to clean water can mean to families, to women, to children, and uh, to the future. Um, would you tell us a little bit about the Siegel Foundation? The well, Siegel Foundation has been working in the, uh, we, this is our 15th year working in the rural development. And over the years, we have realized water is, is the center uh, focus uh, in the development process. When we talk about uh, rural development, when we talk about uh, women uh, empowerment, it, it is an extremely uh, essential tool because a lot of the time the women spend for the water, water issues, uh, is, is tremendous. And we are trying to see how do we reduce the drudgery on women by making the water availability as closest possible in, to them, uh, especially in the villages uh, where, we, uh, where we capture as much water as possible at, uh, by building check dams or doing roof water harvesting or village level water harvesting. Uh, we are also working quite a bit on the uh, school water uh, management program because girl child does not send to the school because schools because the uh, she is kept home while the elder women go out get water during the daytime. So we are trying to make facilities at the school level water, water so the girl, girls come to the school during the daytime. And, and as well as building toilets in the school for the girl child, especially for the girls. So water has been a central issue for the foundation. And quite a bit of water is used for agriculture purposes. And we want to make sure whatever water falls in the agriculture lands is preserved one way or the other because it, it is a small farm, and we talked about it earlier, is a small farm, the farms that, uh, that agriculture is done on. And they don't have a lot of capacity to have a ponds or anything, so we had to build, uh, build techniques so the water is conserved at the farm level. So overall concept is how do we preserve water at the uh, village level, at the common lands level, at the household level, at the school level. So wherever we can drop, uh, save every drop of water as possible. We were, water and agriculture go hand in hand. So we work quite a bit on the agriculture, uh, sustainable agriculture practices. So we, those are the two things that we support directly. And then other thing that we work quite a bit on is the local governance, because we think the sustainability comes from the governance aspect of it. Uh, we can um, 
build the water structure, we could provide the information on the agriculture, but the, until people take uh, control of their own well-being and own um, empower, uh, on, on issues in the villages, we cannot talk about sustainability. So we are trying to work on quite a bit of governance. We call our program as good rural governance. So it, it is basically working with the communities on the empowerment of the type of programs that the government has for them, as well as working on the working with the training, the institutions to deliver those services effectively to the people. So we try to bridge that gap in that particular perspective. And cross-cutting theme for, the, for our organization is how do we work with the women and empower the women to take, uh, take the lead in the villages that we think that that brings a larger impact mm -hmm. in the, in the so tell me why empowering women helps uh, increase the impact. Generally, I think is the we feel of our our research shows the receptivity is much. Uh, uh, when we talk about water, we talk about water. It impacts the women the most. When we talk about education, it impacts the women the most. When we talk about agriculture, when you look at in India, particularly India, most of the uh, farm um, labor is women. So, and, and a lot of farmers, as the menfolk go out of the village for other type of earning, uh, women are looking after the farm, farms. So we feel the receptivity with the women are the most, as it is widely said, when you educate a woman, you educate a family. So we work with the women, I think, in, in that particular aspect, because they, recept, there's a, they understand the benefits of the programs, or they understand the, what we are trying to do, and how they can uh, take the mess uh, knowledge from us to take it to the uh, to take it to the family, take it to the villagers. That information. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, just next to you is someone who took advantage of the India winter, and then I, I would like to um, uh, help explain uh, to people who don't yet know about this program what the India winter program is by using uh, the Sigel Foundation's involvement as an example. Um, a winter break, study abroad opportunity uh, presents itself. In your case, you were interested in development, as I understand it, some development initiatives. And you worked with one of Jay's projects, one of the Siegel Foundation projects. Yeah, so we were basically a group of about 10 students. And we uh, were working in a specific village in a very rural uh, area outside of Delhi. And we were basically, uh, we were analyzing the problem of saline groundwater uh, that the farmers are trying to use for irrigation systems. And there's the problem of the salinification of the aquifer. So we were basically out there collecting measurements. And uh, some, of, some of our group were conducting focus group studies in the village, uh, trying to get an estimate of how the villagers perceive the problem of their water uh, resources. Um, and yeah, it was just a great experience uh, for everyone involved. We all became close friends as uh, students there and learned a lot. And it's really opened up a lot of doors for me in my professional career as well. So. And you work for the Iowa Flood Center now. That's right, yeah. So, so what do you do at the Flood Center? I'm working on the statewide floodplain mapping project. Mm -hmm. So we're basically creating uh, flood inundation maps for the whole state of Iowa. So mm -hmm. it's a vast project, and it's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> So with this, uh, with this trip to India, and I know that you've also been to other places in South Asia, um, what are some of the lessons you brought back from what you saw there and what you experienced? Um, it's just, uh, it's been truly life-changing. It's, it's beyond description to experience the, that sort of uh, poverty, I'd say, that we don't experience here in the United States. Uh, it's a whole different level of poverty and a different you know, obviously different culture as well. 
Um, I think it's just really important to travel, period, just to gain a broader perspective of what's out there. And I, you know, I, I always love the Mark Twain quote, uh, travel is fatal to bigotry, prejudice, and narrow-mindedness. So I think that really sums up travel in general, and just uh, especially when you're working towards uh, a noble goal and uh, learning and experiencing new things. It's really great. In the communication we had before this program, you said that one of the things that really struck you was the uneven um, economic development around the world, how, sure. how grossly different places. Yeah, I think they... India is a place where that is very apparent. And uh, the area that uh, we were doing our studies in uh, is about an hour outside of the capital city of Delhi, and it's a whole other world. It's like stepping back in time as far as development. So, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting though because the technology is advancing. Like uh, I think someone mentioned earlier, the more cell phones in India than toilets and uh, and whatnot. And yeah, it's. It's amazing. Everyone's got their mobile phone, but um, there's still, you know, the problem of open defecation and things like this. So there's definitely this, uh, the, the uneven nature of development is very apparent in India. Yeah. And Jay, with your foundation, um, why do you invite these students in to work on your projects? Yeah, I think these students bring a, a very, very good perspective to the organization, in the, in, this, in, the, in the sense that uh, they have. Um, of course, a fresh mind to apply to it. You know, we do uh, we do worry quite a bit of uh, our uh, impact that 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 our programs are bringing. And here we have an opportunity when the students come in, they do an independent study. They are not part of the organization. They're coming and looking at a fresh look at the uh, at the organization and the, how do we go about doing it. So they have a lot of suggestions and a lot of uh, uh, input to our programs. And we really, uh, we really appreciate it. As a matter of fact, two, uh, we are now three years in a row, uh, three or fourth, fourth year we are in, in the uh, uh, studying the saline zones. Now, one of the things that uh, drastically happening in a country like India is a lot of salinity is building on you know, what they call inland salinity because the monsoons are very harsh. A lot of water gets stagnant on the on the uh, on the soils, and then and it, and do the evaporation, a lot of salinity is building up in the soils. So the, this program Joseph was mentioning is on the uh, on the sal studying saline zone or mapping the saline zones of the region where we are working. So we have a good assessment of where we need to uh, do more programs so we can eliminate or at least uh, reduce the salinity uh, basically due to extracting, pushing the water more to the ground instead of having a stagnating on the, onto the ground, on, the, on the surface level. Uh -huh. So these, these perspectives, we would not have come out ourselves because these perspectives, the University of Iowa has a tremendous technology on G, uh, uh, GP, GPS systems, I believe, where do you map, do all the, the mapping? GIS. GIS, I'm sorry, thank you. GIS systems, and we use that to, our, uh, to map these saline yeah. zones. So it, oh. it's, a, it's a tremendous uh, look at our programs, external look at our programs. Yeah. Well, let me bring you into the conversation now, Christina Woodhouse. Um, you are involved in, in public health, and um, you are working with adolescent girls in Honduras to increase their uh, length of time in school, help them understand the value of education, and, and, and help us understand what you're doing with knowledge is power. Yeah, so um, I am a medical and public health student, MD, MPH, and the project that I'm working on right now is part of the um, College of Medicine Global Health Distinction Track, 
Um, this is an opportunity that the college offers to students who are particularly interested in global health, um, which includes myself. Um, and so the project I'm going to be doing, um, or that I'm working on right now, is going to be providing health education um, for adolescent girls in a community in Honduras that I've worked in before. Um, and I just, I had volunteered in this community um, after graduating from undergrad, um, and I just, you know, kind of like what, you know, other people have been saying this evening, you know, once you are there and you have these experiences, it's very hard sometimes to, like, forget that, even when you come back, and, you know, I was very busy with starting medical school, um, and I just, I wanted to stay connected to this community, um, and I found that health, which is kind of my area of interest, um, was something that I wanted to, you know, try to make an impact on in this community. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up creating this um, education program. Um, and I chose to work with young women since um, women are often kind of not exactly in charge, but they're also often the ones that are um, sort of responsible for the health care of the family, um, taking the kids to the doctor, or, you know, if someone in the family is sick, they're the ones that need to stay home and, and take care of that person. Um, so I felt that, you know, working with, with young women would kind of help with that, um, you know, the empowering of these young women. And hopefully um, when they're older and have families of their own, you know, they can use the knowledge and the skills that they've gained to help improve the health of their family and their community as well. What are some of the particular health issues that um, these young women might be dealing with? Yeah, so um, in Honduras, there are, there are a variety of health issues. Um, when I was volunteering there previously, I worked with children, um, and I worked with education, so not health-related at all, actually. Um, but I found that a lot of the children I were working with um, were suffering from you know, a variety of different problems that, that seemed, you know, some of them seemed like they could you know, be preventable or that they could be treated. Um, you know, kids with wounds because they didn't have shoes and they were running around barefoot. Um, families that I knew who had had children who had died of diseases like diarrhea or um, upper respiratory illnesses. And it just, you know, it really seemed um, kind of crazy that, you know, these problems were so prevalent in this community um, that I felt, you know, that if they lived here in the United States, it would be you know, one trip to the primary care doctor and they would be fine. And, and um, so, yeah, those, the problem with children was initially, um, the problems that children are dealing with um, was initially what I was interested in. But I also think issues with um, access to um, information about reproductive health is very important, um, access to information and to resources for um, eating healthy uh, nutrition, um, clean water is an issue in Honduras as well as many other countries around the world. Um, there's, there's just a lot of different issues that I think um, t teaching about and allowing women to kind of think about solutions that might be available in their community or what they can do um, to try to be better the health of their families and their community um, is really kind of the goal of, of the Knowledge is Power program. So do you have an intersection with either the the uh, schools or with government healthcare offices, um, or how, how do you reach yeah, the people? Yeah, so you my need project um, is it's so it's trying to engage the community um, as well as just you know 
me and the University of Iowa, other students. Um, but kind of the basis behind this is um, the formation of a community advisory board. Um, when I was in Honduras previously, I discussed the different health problems with members of um, the government and the education system and the health health system that's already there. And they they were they felt very strongly that education was something that was was needed. Um, and so I'm the idea is that I'm combining you know people from these different areas to kind of work together and serve as the advisory board to help um, sort of oversee the project. Um, you know, give input, be a local resource, um, you know, make sure that the content of the curriculum is appropriate culturally and socially. Um, and then hopefully this project is something that um, can be sort of more community oriented as it, you know, gets, gets going. And, and in future years, the idea is that one of the participants and one of the students can later be, you know, one of the teachers. Um, and so that it can have sort of a community basis, because I think that's very important. And is this quite a small community you're working with? Um, yeah, it's about, it's not, uh, I think it's maybe six or 7,000 people. Um, so it's, it's relatively small. Um, it's a community on the northern coast of Honduras. Um, and they, they have a health center there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of problems with people accessing it and the cost of medi medications and and all sorts of things. So I think um, this is kind of another avenue that people can can use to get more information and, and learn about how they can um, try to improve their health. Uh, Joseph, one of the things you mentioned was that you're, you've gotten involved recently in the whole uh, notion of micro-lending. Yeah, sure. uh, tell us something about uh, what you're doing there. Yeah, so I've recently uh, become a member of Kiva.org and it's basically a micro-lending institution that um, you sign up for and you can lend out an increment of $25 to individuals and groups in developing nations. Uh, a lot of these loans revolve around water, resources, agriculture, um, farming, yeah, and opening small businesses, things like that. And uh, it's pretty amazing. It has a 99% repayment rate. and. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. They work with uh, NGOs and local partners on the ground to kind of verify and administer the loans. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that sounds terrific. And, and I suspect there's an awful lot of micro-lending still happening in India. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it is a field which is uh, growing, continue to grow in India. And most, uh, most effective is the southern part of India. I think the, uh, in the I think one of the, Personally, I feel it's because the wages in the north are are a little higher, so I think the uh, the the lending is not so great. But in the south, where the wages are really uh, and the earnings are very low, with the with especially with the women folk, uh, there there the it's the uh, this microfinance has uh, picked up tremendously. Yeah. yeah. So with the Siegel Foundation, you said you've now been active for 15 years. Yes. And there's a very interesting history to the, the startup of your organization. I think people here would be interested to hear about your, yeah. your founder. Yeah, our founder is uh, Dr. Suri Siegel, and um, he's, uh, he's a graduate of Harvard, not University of Iowa, in genetics. And uh, after graduating, he came to uh, work for Pioneer, for many Pioneer Seed Company here in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, for working there for many years, he left Pioneer and joined, set up his own businesses uh, throughout the world. 
after he sold uh, those businesses, basically, he wanted to do something back for the country of his origin. And he, he always says, my earlier education came from that country, and I must do something. And uh, of course, the, uh, working with the farmers throughout his life, he has realized uh, what the farming community goes through in, that, in those, in those countries with the uh, small farms and uh, their the low earn, uh, earning power. So he wanted to really do something back for the country, and, and especially working in the areas of education, agriculture. Uh, and, and so he set up this trust in Des Moines, uh, based in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, to give back to the, uh, back to the country. And, and basically, that's, that's how the, this whole, or the family got behind it. The family said, we need to support it. Uh, most of the resources that came from uh, the sale of these businesses was put aside in the trust. And um, basically, he has been after uh, the key things that uh, is empowerment of the people, empowerment of the people to take care of their own well-being. And that has been his, uh, his uh, flagship uh, program over the years. Yeah. So is the goal of the organization to put itself out of business? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be the ultimate goal, yeah. yes. Uh, it's a long ways to go, you know, and uh, we would... We would love to see that people are empowered, people start taking, you know, they need a beginning. People need a beginning. And I think the uh, uh, government programs are there to get take that beginning. Unfortunately, the awareness is not there at the grassroots level. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, our good rural governance program works very closely with these people to make sure these programs reach the uh, people who need to be reached effectively. And, and I think that, that creates a sustainability. A lot of discussion goes on as to how do you phase out of villages? How do you move away? And our, our uh, goal is that once they start taking care of their own well-being, instead of being dependent on a government program, being dependent on an NGO like ours, uh, so then, then it's the right time that we can move to other, other places. Uh, today, I think we work in about uh, 400 villages in, uh, uh, in uh, northern part of India. And, uh, and so we, we work with about half a million people as well. But that's still, in a country like India, that's a drop in a bucket. Mm. I mean, you know, you have 640,000 villages and the population now of us 840 million people who lives in the rural areas. So there's a long ways to go. There's a long, long, there's a long time goal. And, but I think the, that's the ultimate goal to, so that they start taking up these things on their own. Well, thank you all for being here. Jay Siegel, lovely to have you. Thank Joseph you. Wyckoff, thank, thank you, you so very much. much. And Christina Woodhouse, thank, thank you. you for joining us. Uh, so we, this has been the third part of a three-part series on poverty, hunger, and disease, and some of the ways out of uh, the predicaments many people find themselves in these days. Um, that's the end of our program for this afternoon, and I want to say thank you very much to Film Scene and to all of you who joined us this afternoon. If you'd like to see this program again, you can catch it on UITV, YouTube, or iTunes. Information about upcoming programs as well as links to archived programs can be found at International dot uiowa.edu and find out more about Film Scene at icfilmscene.org. I'm Joan Kerr and I'd like to invite you to our next World Canvas which will be here in this room where we'll explore gender and identity and in a global context. That's December 9th at 5 o'clock here at Film Scene. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Good night. <laughs>